Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Last Lord's Day in the second service, I took a proverb about a bird, a female bird leaving its nest, which the Holy Spirit compared to men leaving their place. That is, men, women, or children not fulfilling the roles and responsibilities according to the rules that God's given us. And I was pretty intense about that. Started out today with Proverbs 29.10, pretty intense about that, because the bloodthirsty hate the upright, and we're in a war. Pretty intense about Romans chapter 12, and I want to remind you why we ought to have an intense pulpit. Stepping outside of this place, there's 164 hours where the world's going to be at full volume in direct opposition to everything that is said inside these walls. So for the four hours that we have together, we want to speak boldly, plainly, loudly for the things of the Word of God against the things of this world. One second after you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and you give an account of your life, you'll be thankful or you'll wish that I had been louder, longer, and more intense about the things of righteousness than I have been. Sin is horrible, it's terrible, and we want to abhor it, and we don't abhor it with effeminate little language. We want to blast it, and we want to remind people that if we don't have the evidence of eternal life, then we don't have the evidence of eternal life. And if we don't love, we don't have the evidence of eternal life. Because love is the greatest evidence of eternal life. I want to push you outside of your comfort zone. I want to make you uncomfortable. I want to make me uncomfortable. I want to be a voice crying in the wilderness. I don't know pulpit manner, and I don't want to learn it. I want to be a voice crying in the wilderness like Elijah or John the Baptist and just naming things for what they are according to the Word of God and blasting against every one of them. My blasts against them are a blast against you and blasts against me and blasts against my family. But it's blasts that we all need. I want to remind you of that. Why we are harsh, why we are hard, why we are loud in our presentation of God's Word because it needs to be made harsh, loud, and intense. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when the rest of the Christian world wants to leave sound doctrine for fables of entertainment, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. The apostle told Timothy, and that's right after he charged him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of Christ in order to preach the word and to be instant, to be instant in season, The word instant means, when it's used like that, is to be insistent, pressing, and urgent upon people. And in season or out of season means whether you want to hear it or not. Whether it's conducive, comfortable, or convenient to speak those things or not, they need to be spoken. I'm supposed to be at war with each of you. I'm supposed to pull down your strongholds. I'm supposed to bring into captivity every thought you have to the obedience of Christ. I want to ridicule your thoughts. I want to ridicule my thoughts. I want to ridicule all our thoughts. I want to blast them. I want to crush them to smithereens. I want to blow them away with the hammer, anvil, and fire of God's Word. And I I just want you to remember those things and, and comfort yourself that though sometimes it's intense and sometimes, you know, things are said that if you don't, show the Word of God in your life, then you may not have eternal life. But that's the truth. You can make your calling and election sure by getting serious about these things. And I want you to do so. You know, in the list of eight things in 2 Peter chapter 1, the last two are add brotherly kindness and add to brotherly kindness. 
Charity. Two of the eight are love. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you can make your calling and election sure. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 is the word of God. And we humble ourselves before it. And Lord God Almighty, we thank Thee for Thy words. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Amen. And amen. In that 16th verse, how do we perceive the love of God? How do we see the love of God? How do we discern the love of God? How do we know that God loves us? Because He laid down His life for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is shown by laying, by giving. Love is shown by sacrifice. And in this case, it's the ultimate sacrifice of the life of the Son of God. This is how we perceive and discern and know and see God's love for us. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In all that First John has to say that God is love, and so he that loves, and he that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Because God is love. And that grace that God worked in our hearts is one of the strongest, if not the strongest evidence, in the New Testament of eternal life. It is not faith. I am sick of Arminian overemphasis of faith. The reason the Apostle Paul used faith in the book of Romans chapters 3 and 4 in particular and in the book of Galatians is because he was appealing to Abraham against Jewish legalism. And what does it say in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But faith is not the greatest evidence of eternal life because the devils believe and tremble. Many believe, and Jesus said they didn't have eternal life. They were of their father the devil in John chapter 8. But they don't love, because love shows us a changed nature. And we want to get that. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we're going to love like God loved, God showed His love, and we're able to perceive it by the fact that Jesus died for us, He laid down His life for us. We ought to be willing to lay down our lives for others. That means we lose some time for them. That means we lose some money for them. We lose some emotion for them, effort for them, planning for them. We're willing to lose it. We lose lose convenience for others. We lose comfort for others. He He left everything for us. He left the throne of glory and came and laid down His life for us. And so, in verse 17, if we have anything... And we see, now notice, it doesn't say when you get a church update or when someone has a prayer request. It's when you see. You say, well, how would I know that somebody has a need unless they tell me? Don't pull that one on me. Hebrews chapter 10 says that we're supposed to consider one another. And if you consider someone carefully and do a little bit of inquiry, you're going to find out what needs they just might have. You don't need an update. If you're going to do this. But anyway, you've got stuff. You have assets. You have money. 
You have the world's good and you see that your brother have need and you shut up your bowels of compassion by saying, well, someone else will do it. This is how it's done. Someone else will do it. I just don't have time right now. I've sort of got that money earmarked. Well, if they worked a little bit harder, they'd have more money themselves to take care of it. And there's 1,001 reasons that we can give why we close up the bowels of our compassion. This is putting the straitjacket on in this verse, which in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, we're supposed to rip it off. But he sees his brother have need, and he's got the stuff, and he shuts up his bowels of compassion. Compassion is to be affected in pity and, and, and desire to help someone in a time of need. And bowels refer to that inward part of our stomach when we say, my stomach turned over. My stomach was moved. I felt it in my stomach when we love someone. And we close that up. When we see someone, we should have bowels moved with compassion. If you were the Lord Jesus Christ and you had seen the funeral with the woman of Nain, who was a widow woman and that was her only son on that funeral by her, what would you have done? Would you have done what the Lord Jesus did? I hope you would have, but we can know what you would do. What will you do with a few extra bucks in your pocket or a a little bit of time or when this assembly ends or later today when we're in a different situation, how affectionate, kind, and benevolent and warm are you going to be? Some to strangers. We're going to find out. Boy, the Lord took us in and we were strangers. We were strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. And He still died for us. We can do it. And we can do it well. We want to do it well. Not for our praise and glory. We don't want any praise and glory. We want the Lord to get every bit of it. Whoso hath this world's good, he shutteth up his bowels of compassion from How dwelleth the love of God in him? How can he say that he loves God when he's not performing? He can't. My little children, let us not love in word. Let's not say we love God and then we don't perform like verse 17 describes. Let's do it in deed and in truth and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Do you want to assure your hearts that you're a child of God? It's by love. Get out of your comfort zone. Go after someone. Love them in the way the Bible describes. Give. Okay. Why do you talk about, you've said giving so much, and I'm not talking about the offering box. I'm talking about giving to those that could use it. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. What does the Bible say about this matter? What I want to give is a few minutes, and my time is rapidly getting away from me, but what does the Bible say about selfishness and selflessness? Which are you? I want you to think about two words over and over every time you have an opportunity to do something. Are you being selfish or selfless? Selfless means myself is less important and I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm selfless. I don't care about myself. I don't care about self. I don't care about my money. I don't care about my time. I don't care about my comfort. I don't care about my convenience. I want to give myself to others. I'm selfless. Selfish means I care about me. I'm in love with me. I'm going to protect me. I like my comfort. I like my comfort zone. I like my convenience. I like my schedule. And everyone's going to have to wait until it's convenient for me. That's selfish. So I want you to think of two words. Selfish, selfless. It's the difference between the Apostle Paul and Demas. It's the difference between an Abraham and a Lot. What should Lot have said when Abraham made him that offer? No, exactly. You take the better property, uncle. I'm nothing. 
I know that if I'm just near you, I'm going to be prosperous. And it saved his whole family because he wouldn't have been in the, pl- the valley of the Jordan River for the city of Sodom. Right. Mm-hmm. Selfish or selfless? Every child ought to be taught this every day of their lives, to think about others, to think about others. Every one of these children in this assembly and every youth in this assembly should be pressed by the parents to come into this assembly and not talk to your buddies. Go talk to someone else. You have a requirement to talk to three people at least 10 years older than you or 10 years younger than you and make your children do it. Make them get over their selfishness, which is just a sign of immaturity. Babies are selfish. All they can think about is themselves. When was the last time you heard a baby cry for its mother working so hard? It's all about themselves because they're just all, it's, it's immaturity. We want to promote our religion is this simple. And you, this is so simple. Two commandments. The love of God and the love of neighbor. That's it. Close the Bibles. That's all we need is two commandments. Love of God and love of others. And that others is a, it is a long list, but that's all there is to it is love of God and love of others. And if everything that you do is out of love toward God and everything you do toward others is out of love toward them, you have fulfilled the entire law of God and it is pretty extensive. You know what chapter 13 is going to teach us? Watch this. Romans... Oh, we're not, in, we're not in Romans, are we? We're in Acts chapter 20. Don't turn. Because let's use Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Do you have some red writing in that chapter? Those of you that have a red letter edition Bible, do you see any red writing in Acts chapter 20? Is there a little bit that sneaks in there? Because in verse 35, the Apostle Paul, as he says goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. Notice, get a second job to give it away. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. You say, how do you know that that's what it was talking about? Well, look at verse 34. Yea, ye yourselves know how these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Not only did I preach the gospel, but I had a second job. Almost all the way through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had a second job of being a tent maker in order to be able to provide his own way and to be able to give to those that were with him. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and that should be in the red writing if you have a red letter edition Bible. If it's not, write the publisher of your Bible and get them corrected, because those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that true? Is that really true? Do you mean if we do it God's way, we please God and we win? Is it win-win? But notice that if we're giving, then somebody else is winning as well because we're giving them what they have need of. Is it win-win-win when we do it God's way? We please God, they win, we win, because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So let's be on the giving end. It's what the Word of God says. I've taught it to you so many times. I just want to think about two words. Selfish, selfless. Four girls. Are they going to be the most selfless girls that arise in this church? Very simple to do it. You can start at home every day with each other. That they just love to share and love to go make each other's beds. Let them fight every morning as to making each other's beds. Don't make your bed. I mean, please don't make your bed. I want to make it for you. Because you want them to be selfless every day. All, 
Our religion is so simple. We want to have devotions. We want to sing songs about the wondrous creation of God by loving Him. And we want to love others. And if you get a, if you get a child and form that child to love God and to love others, that child will not have any love left over for themselves in any ungodly way. And they'll grow up mature, being selfless servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want all of us to be. And some of us are no longer children. But I am very thankful for two parents that I watched my entire life give their lives to serve that God and to serve others. And I'm very thankful for that. And the reason I'm coupling that in here right now is I want all of you to have that ambition to teach your children to be selfless. Always thinking about the others. You never sit in the sideline when the group has decided to do something. You want to be right in there. If this is what the group wants to do, I'm going to be the most enthusiastic participant in what this group does. Not offering their own opinion, swallowing their own opinion. And whatever the group does, I want to do, even if it might be something they dislike. Jump in there and do it. That's another way of giving. Give, give, give. And we win. The givers win. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Selfish or selfless. The religion of Jesus Christ is so simple. I was going to turn you over to Romans chapter 13. Go ahead and look at it now. Romans chapter 13. I want to show you just how much I mean it when I say our religion only has two commandments. You say that's in the Old Testament. Watch. Verse 8. Owe no man anything. That doesn't mean you don't have, you don't ever have debts that you pay on time because when you're paying on time, you don't owe man, you don't owe a man anything. He doesn't expect a payment yet. Owe no man anything, but this is being an obligation to someone. You've borrowed something, you haven't returned it. You have committed to do something and you haven't done it. Owe no man anything, but to love one another. Notice, here, here we go. Owe no man anything, but to love one another. You owe everyone love because it's a one another duty that we're supposed to give to our neighbor. Every person that crosses your path, you owe them something, and that's love. And that's okay. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, notice, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. There's five of the Ten Commandments. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's that simple. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to corrupt your neighbor into committing adultery. You're not going to violate your neighbor's husband's marriage bed. All, all of it revolves around the fact that if you love your neighbor, you're not going to do that. Right. Thou shalt not kill. You're not going to take his life. You're not going to take the life of a father away from the children. You're not going to take the life of a husband away from the wife. It all comes back to if you love them, you're going to keep all the commandments. And so the Apostle Paul in the New Testament shows how all the commandments roll up into the commandment, love your neighbor. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is very closely connected to the morning. I've only got a few minutes left, and that's okay. Because we're going to go to the house of mourning and we're going to do some loving this afternoon. And we're going to be excited about it. And we're going to look for opportunities. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. There shouldn't be any fighting and there shouldn't be any desire for preeminence or importance or honor or attention. Let nothing... I don't have... Do you hear it? Let nothing be done. Don't do anything 
that is based in strife of you wanting to compete with someone else or vainglory, you wanting attention. Don't do anything that's based on competing or attention. But in lowliness of mind, make a decision in your head that you're not important, that everyone else is more important because God's told you to think that way. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other. Is this another form of one, another duty? Is that something? It's almost like there's a conspiracy by the author of this book to get our attention that the duties of religion are one at a time by for each one of us. Right. Let each, that's each of you, that's me. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other. Is other singular or plural? It's singular because it's one at a time. When you add them up, it's others. Better than themselves. Now themselves, that's plural. That's the whole church operating one at a time as each, looking out for every other and esteeming them better. So everything I said this morning from Romans 12, 9 and 10 can be backed up in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. It sure can because it's written by one author. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things. And we do that because we have to. We have to look on our own things to take care of them and to work hard and provide for them, protect them, insure them, clean them, and store them. But every man also on the things of others. We should have an obligation to in ourselves that we also want to look on the things of others and protect them, help them, guide them. You know, in the Bible it would talk about what if a man's ass got away from him. You know, he wasn't there and the ass got out and it ran down the street and crossed the county and it ended up in your yard and you went out there and gently captured it. You were to return it because you were, you were caring about your neighbor's stuff. And we want to care about our neighbor's stuff and their lives, their children. Whenever we see children in here, we want to encourage them. We want to help them. We want to, we want to strengthen them. We want to tell them that we love them so that the parents have an easier time teaching them about the wonderful house of God that the Lord's given them. Right. It's a community church. Not that we live in a community, but that we want to make everybody else's family part of our community and love them. Selfish or selfless? Right. Selfish is just thinking about yourself. Selfless, never thinking about yourself, but thinking about others instead. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, I've promised you as a church that every quarter you're going to get a sermon about brotherly love in some way, shape, or form. Count yourself served. Selfish or selfless. Second quarter, 2013. You say, I think you worked it in this morning already. Well, good. Maybe we missed a quarter somewhere in the past. 2 Corinthians 12.15, the Apostle Paul with this church that gave him so many troubles, do you know it would have been so nice just to wash your hands of that church? Corinth, if that's the way you want it, then have it your way. But the Apostle kept coming after them. And look what he says in verse 15. 2 Corinthians 12.15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. At break time, I overheard a conversation, I was list part of it, of a conversation that when you make an effort toward a person a first time, a second time, and a third time, and they rebuff you several times, and it's just easy to wash your hands and say, forget it. If you want it that way, then have a nice life, as the world says. But look at the Apostle Paul. Notice, 
I will spend and be spent for you. Is that what he said? Look at the first half of the verse. I will spend and be spent for you. No. Does it say, I will gladly spend and be spent for you? No. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Where in the world does that kind of motivation come from, but from the man who said in chapter 6 of this book, I am not straightened in my bowels, and my mouth is open, and my heart is enlarged. Though you have offended me, and though you have hurt me, it doesn't matter. I am not straightened toward you. I am not restricted in a straitjacket in my affections towards you. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Though I don't get it back, he did ask for a recompense in chapter 6, if you remember, but if they didn't recompense him, it wasn't going to stop him. Do mothers know this to a degree with their children? The little, the little guys don't thank you very many times for supper, clean clothes, and a nice bed, do they? By little guys, I mean 16-year-olds. But you know what, mothers? That's just instinctive of continuing to do for little creatures that came out of your womb, just like animals do. And it's a wonderful thing to be a good mother, but you need to reach outside that to those that are not your children and love those that you don't have a bond to by nature, but you have a bond to by the Spirit. Right. And that this verse is so wonderful. I will very gladly spend, and I will spend it all till I have nothing left. Is that selfless? This is a wonderful definition of selfless. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. See, he's not getting anything back. Getting something back has nothing to do with the definition or the motivation or the exhortation to love. You do it because God said to do it. And not only did God say to do it, God wants us to resurrect, have bowels, put on bowels of compassion, put on bowels of mercies. We're supposed to work up the feelings toward it. It is not just a duty. In the verse that we've had this morning, we had bowels of compassion tied together. Now it's called bowels of mercy in Colossians chapter 3. And we're to work up these feelings. We're to take off the straitjacket of our feelings. And we put that there for whatever reason. It could be partly temperamental. It could be partly the way we were raised as children. It could be partly that we're fearful of being hurt by someone else. And so we constrict our emotions. We constrict our compassion. We constrict our feelings and, and drive and of love because we don't want to be hurt for whatever reason. But the Bible's tell, telling us today to rip that off. And are you willing to do that for the Lord's sake? He ripped it all off for us. He came and laid Himself down. He lost His relationship with His Father temporarily in order to gain a relationship with us. We can risk ourselves to gain a relationship with others. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Selfish, Selfish or selfless? When you're thinking with your spouse, we don't have anything going on tonight, why don't we do something with a brother or sister? You say, well, this doesn't apply to me, and don't don't check me out because you haven't done that in the last month or year or decade. You know, that thought ought to go through our heads, ah, sometimes something about it like every day. Do we have any extra time? Can we do something with a brother or a sister? And that doesn't mean a sibling. It doesn't count. If you did it with family, it doesn't count. If you did it with a friend, it doesn't count. Watch. 
That's why I'm turning to this passage. Luke 14, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Verse 12, Then said he also to them that bade him, is, is this red writing now that I'm about to read? Is when in red in your Bible? See, I don't have a red letter edition. I'm just, I'm kind of confused up here is where it's black and red. <coughs> then said he, the Lord Jesus Christ, also to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. You get repaid, in love or kindness or another dinner outing. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. These are the uncomely in the church of God. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Is that a wonderful verse and another wonderful description of selfless versus selfish? You love to have people over to your house. You love to take them out. You love to email your friends and your buddies and your pals and your family. But that doesn't count with the Lord. You have, you have your duties over here called being a good father, being a good mother, being a good grandfather. But we're talking about duties over here about loving the church of God and loving saints, and loving the uncomely. This is the Bible. This is not Jonathan Crosby. This is the Bible. It doesn't count. And I want it to count. See, you're not giving. It's not It's not giving when you take your friends out and you drop a, a big piece of change on them. It's not giving. You're getting paid for it. It was an even exchange. That's why you did it. This is, this is the Word of God to us. Right. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 23. Just as, Verse 23. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Like a physical body, the ones we want to go after are the, are the lame, the weak, the halt, and the blind. Those are the ones we want to go after in this church and embrace it all. If I get a headache, my feet go to bed because they're selfless. My feet don't say, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging, I'm staying up, and you can take your head to bed. It all goes together at once. And this is all about the human body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's all about the human body. Our hands, and most of you, your faces, not me, you know, are comely. And you've got hands. And you know, they're, they're decent. We put little pieces on them. That's all they need. But you know, the rest of us, <laughs> you know, we've got it all covered up. And we bestow more abundant honor on the rest of our bodies that we don't want anyone else to see because there are uncomely parts. That's what verse 23 is describing. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And I've been through all this before. We pull on socks. We pull on shoes. We make sure they're leather. We make sure they're shine. We make sure they're pretty. We get everything all covered up right up to the neck because I wouldn't want you to see my cleavage. You know, we cover everything. And so how does that apply to a church? We go after the uncomely members. Right. And we give them more abundant honor. You know, when you're keeping a tally sheet of who have I taken out recently, 
and you're checking off friends and you're checking off family, they don't count. It's just a waste. You should be going after the uncomely members like this passage describes right here. They can't repay. But when will you get repaid? I'm going to tell you when you get repaid. You'll get repaid in the doing of it because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus said, you'll be repaid in the resurrection. Because he's going to take recognition of every time you took out someone that could not repay you in kind by taking you out, that could not repay you in attention, affection, and conversation, you had to condescend to men of low estate and engage yourself in a ridiculous conversation at their level. I'm using ridiculous because that's what you say in your mind. You did it without getting repaid in kind, in friendship, in praise, in attention, in conversation. You just did it because the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for the brethren and you ought to lay your life down for them. You'll be repaid in the great day of judgment. This is the Word of God. The time is over for today. It's not that I didn't have an outline, brethren. I got through my introduction. I did have an outline, but we're going to the house of mourning, and we're going to show some love and affection and kindness and patience this day, and I hope to anyone that we meet and think about, I hope that you're seeing and considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works, and that we'll build up this body, and that you want to seek the soul of the the upright. Like Proverbs 29.10 that we began with earlier, the bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. You know, we like 2 Peter chapter 1 where it describes us as being brethren of like precious faith, but I hope that you will love Proverbs 29 and verse 10. The just seek his soul, meaning the soul of the upright man. They want to encourage him, they want to strengthen him, they want his friendship. And so together we can keep up this fight until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Amen.